0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer and begin. Dear Father, we thank you again for this day. And it seems like, Lord, in some cases here at camp that Satan has been working overtime trying to send glitches and all sorts of problems that um, would just disrupt your minist- uh, God's ministry here. But Lord, we just know that you are more powerful than Satan, and he hates what goes on here at Fort Wilderness so we pray for your help we pray for your divine intervention here and Lord we pray most of all that you would open up our hearts and our minds that your spirit would teach us tonight as we explore your word and this theme that we have as we begin these summer staff bible studies again this year we thank you for this time that we can be in here together relaxing somewhat that Lord being fed spiritually, just a short time ago, we fed our physical bodies. Now Lord feed our spiritual bodies. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good evening, folks. And who is the, this is your first experience here at Fort Wilderness, working on summer staff. How many are there? Okay, so about, about maybe 10 people total. So uh, normally, on these Sunday night things, I have prepared questions for review for breaking up into small groups afterwards this has been the craziest year um, spring winter everything here at fort and um, i don't have a quest- the a set of questions for you for tonight i'm going to give you a question at the end to discuss but i don't have them written down so the leaders know you weren't missing something i just didn't get to it um, this has just been a bizarre year and trying to write and do everything in um, down at the nature center and stuff has just been really difficult, particularly when you're not working here full time because of the accident I have. If you haven't heard about it. Don't worry about it. But um, I'm still not here working as many hours as I normally do, so uh, things are just just bear with us. We're trying to get through, trying to get through this family camp one. <laughs> it's a big goal. But what we're going to be doing, um, I wrote a series. This this um, well, I'm writing a series, I should say. Um, based upon our theme that we're doing, Rooted and Built Up. That's our, our theme here that we're doing, away. we're wearing, or wearing these t-shirts with all the stuff on it in the back and stuff. And as we are going to go through this series, I'll tell you what the lessons are going to be in sequence. Just basically, for those of you who are leaders, going to be here the whole summer. For those who are volunteering, you might not be here the whole time, but we do record these. And these will be recorded and put on the Fort website, um, so you'll be able to hear these if you're only here for a couple. You'll still get the whole thing um, if you want offline. But tonight, we're basically just going over our theme verse. I figure one of the best places to start with our summer theme is to take the theme verse, Colossians 2, 6 and 7. And we're going to look at what that verse, uh, that sentence, those two verses actually say. And not just learn about it, but how do we assimilate what's in there into our lives? That's what I'm focusing on tonight. Uh, Next week, we're going to talk about how we got into this mess um, that we are in the world today, particularly in the United States, but actually it's all through Europe and Asia and every place. How did we get into such a mess that we really have thrown away God's word? We don't trust God's word. We, we doubt God's word. Um, we don't go to God's word for guidance anymore. How did we get like this in our country? So we're going to take a look at that and see what happened. Then we're going to get into a series um, on the third week. I'm going to talk about trying to show you that the Bible is real. I mean, if we're going to be rooted and grounded and built up into something, we should know what we are being rooted and ground to and and built up into. So we're going to take a look at the scriptures themselves from a science point of view. What kind of science is in the Bible? Because we're often told today by human secularists that the Bible and science are on two different mountains with a very, very deep chasm, a bottomless pit in between them. But as I was saying to the high school, or or to some people today, um, I don't remember who it was, but... I said to a group, uh, quoting Louis Pasteur, science does not exist to point us away from God, but to point us to God. So we're going to take a look at science in the Bible and see what is there. Uh, On the fourth week, we're going to take a look and see that the Bible is real historically. I'm going to go to one of my favorite hobbies, biblical archaeology, and show you some things that showing... Historical evidence that these people who are mentioned in the Bible, that these places and stuff actually did and do exist. It's real. So, what we're being grounded in is real. Then, we're going to talk about and do something a little different on the next lesson. We're going to talk about how to get rooted. How do you do this? In other words, how do we take the Bible and actually get something out of it? As we all know, the standard Sunday school answer to this question of, should you read the Bible is, of course, yes, we're supposed to read the Bible. How do you read the Bible? Those of you who have heard me speak many times, have heard me say, don't read it like a novel. Well, that's nice, Michael, to say that kind of thing, but how then do you, do you read it? How am I supposed to do this? I am going to show you a very quick, easy Bible study method. Um, and I did this with the leaders prior, prom, prior to all the starting family camp. The leaders went through this with me. I'm going to do a different lesson. It's not going to be the same lesson the leaders got, but we're going to show you the importance of doing a Bible study for spiritual growth. So you can get grounded and stay grounded after you leave here. And we're going to be talking about that and um, the importance of doing a Bible study. Then the next lesson will be actually doing a Bible study. Then we're going to talk about prayer, how prayer is involved in this getting rooted grounded and built up how important is prayer what exactly is prayer how does that all work we're going to talk about that how important it is for you and then on the last night family camp 8 will be doing how to be built up and that's going to be the importance of Christian fellowship and if you've been here for the last few years you know that we often do a communion service here in the gathering place with the summer staff I lead that And we will be doing that on the last night. It's very fitting to what we're going to be doing um, with that lesson to have our communion service that night. So that's what the game plan is for this whole series. But tonight, we're going to begin with this verse. Because this verse, being our theme verse, this verse is very important for us. And it does have a tremendous amount of information, very important information. And we're going to be using the English Standard Version. That is the version that we are using for all the theme, is the English Standard Version. And I love this version because it's a word-for-word translation. Taking the actual um, ancient manuscripts, looking at the word that's there, translating that word individually, each word into the, the closest English equivalent. And that's why I love this. Though it's not perfect, the English Standard Version, it's a very, very good and strong translation. And we'll be using this. Um, primarily as our, our standard version through this whole series. And tonight, as we look at this and we read the verse, Colossians 2, 6, and 7, as you see it says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So there's our verse. Basically a sentence, a lot of information in there. Um... And we're going to take a look at this, diving in to the key parts of this verse, because I believe it is very, very important for all of us to know what this is. I'm not saying just memorize the verse. Know what this is saying, and how do I apply this to my life, because that's what this is all about. So as we do this, let's begin, first of all, taking a look at this thing called Colossians. And Colossians... Um, was a church. Uh, It's it's a letter written by Paul to a church in uh, what is today modern-day Turkey, to give you an idea of where, if you have no idea where Colossae was. Colossae is, as you can see on a map I'm showing here, if you're listening on the tape, I'm just showing a map of ancient Turkey. Um, And just a little bit from the center and west, south just a little bit, is the city of Colossae. You can see it's not too far from Ephesus. If you keep going to the coast, you run right into Ephesus. Um, so it's, it's way inland, um, and it's in a very mountainous area. This was a city that was actually started back around during the Greek um, Empire. It became, during the intertestamental time, between the Old and the New Testament, it became a major city, huge city. And as time went on, as it came closer to the the New Testament time, the time of Christ's ministry and stuff, it sort of dwindled. It sort of lost a lot of its uh, prestige. And it just kept getting smaller and smaller each century that went past until finally the Muslims just basically destroyed it. And today there's nothing there. And there's not a whole lot in this uh, city um, area today. As a matter of fact, if you go to Colossae today... um, there's not much there. It's never even been excavated. But how this all started, there was a guy, two people in particular, one named Philemon. There's a new book, a book in the New Testament named after him, too. Philemon and another person named Epaphras who lived in Colossae. They were very important, and apparently Philemon was a very, very wealthy person. Had traveled probably on some business trips to Ephesus over on the coast, and Paul was there in Ephesus. And they heard Paul. Now, these were not Christian people or anything, but they heard Paul speaking and preaching. And the Holy Spirit got a hold of these two people, and they became Christians. And after their trip, they went back to Colossae, where there was no Christians at all, and these two people go back to the city, back home, and they start a church. And this church starts to thrive. It meets in Philemon's house. You can read the short book of Philemon, it's one little chapter, a short little letter, beautiful letter, and um, you can get some ideas of what's going on at this church um, from that letter, but... That's what we have, how this, this church got started. And so it was a very strong church, apparently. Though Paul, as far as we know, Paul was never in Colossae. He never visited there. But he actually started it because two people heard him speaking. And they go home and they, they spread the news. And the church starts to grow considerably. Now, this is a picture I'm showing right now of modern-day Colossae. You'll see there's not much there. A couple of pillars laying around. If you look carefully, you'll see little uh, sort of orangey pieces of rock. Those are broken pieces of pottery. A large tell in the background. You can see like a a rise or a hill. This is the ancient uh, Acropolis or the main part of the city. And you don't see any buildings or anything. It's never been excavated. Nobody has ever to this day excavated Colossae. It's still just sitting just like this. Uh, occasionally biblical tours will take place there, but there's just nothing there. The city has been destroyed. Like I say, the Muslims finally destroyed the city, but there's just nothing around there. But around 62 AD, when the church was there and the church was thriving, in 62 AD, now Paul, we believe, was executed around 68 AD in Rome, but in 62 AD, something goes wrong in the church. We don't know exactly what happened because we just have the letters here, um, this letter to the Colossians, to sort of gather what happened. But someone, apparently, someone in the church began a heresy and preaching things about Christ that were not true. And it started to catch on, and apparently it was catching on like wildfire in this church and started to spread. Epaphras, who was one of the leaders of the church, is experiencing this, and he's hating what's going on, how the church is splitting, and they're distorting what he knew was the true message about Christ. So Epaphras uh, travels, this is amazing, but he's got, the church is having problems, so he travels from Colossae all the way to Rome, because Paul is in prison in Rome, and he wants Paul's advice on how to handle this church problem. So he gets there, he tells Paul about it, Paul sits down with pen and paper, and he writes a short little letter to the Colossian church, and that's what we have in our New Testament, is that letter, to the Colossians. And in this, he is addressing the heresies. And so in this short little three-chapter book, this is a phenomenal book. It's one of my absolute favorite books of the New Testament because it has so many cool things, particularly about Christ. Because it was a heresy about Christ um, that was going on. So in this, um, we can get an idea a little bit of what was being taught. Though we're not 100% certain... Bible scholars aren't, but we can tell from what Epaphras was addressing to Paul and Paul addresses to the Colossian church, we can get three primary heresies that are going on. First of all, there was a Jewish legalism called the Judaizers. The Judaizers in the church, people who were Jews, been converted to Christianity, they somehow were involved in this because what the Jewish legalism legalism, pardon me, legalism was, was that they, uh, to be saved you had to be circumcised if you were a male. You had to be circumcised to become a Christian. They also taught that you have to follow the Old Testament laws. Not just the Ten Commandments, all of the Levitical laws that you had to do the festivals, you had to do the sacrifices, you had to watch what type of food you ate. Now this is during the Christian era. And they were teaching this, and this is what the Judaizers did, and these guys were around, Galatians. The same thing happened with the church in Galatia. Paul has to write a letter to them because they were saying, oh, we have to go back and be saved. We've got to be um, really good Christians. We've got to go back and do it the Jewish way. No, we don't. And so Paul writes a letter to them too. But that's one part of the heresy, that they, uh, the, these Judaizers were changing some of the things about Christ. A second thing was asceticism, which is angel worship and mysticism. That apparently was in this also. We know because Paul makes an address concerning the beliefs of this. And the third thing was early Gnosticism. Gnosticism was something that, after this happened, really exploded. And that's one reason that John wrote his Gospel of John, was because this started going all over the Roman Empire, all through the churches. This Gnosticism, that Jesus is not fully God, was one of their key things. And to to be saved... To be um, um, in part of God's family, it required certain secret knowledge that you had to have for salvation. Also, the Gnosticism taught that matter, anything that is made of material objects or anything, was evil. Everything, matter, was evil. And that's what they taught. So we know that these three things were going on in the church, in this heresy, because these are the three things that Paul addresses in this short letter. Colossians is a phenomenal book because he tells us so much in theology about who Jesus is, answering these questions that are posed by this. So, Paul gives one of the clearest, absolutely clearest descriptions of who Jesus is in this letter. He exposes the heresy of the philosophies that have now entered into the church. I, I want you to understand This wasn't something outside the church. This was happening inside the body of believers. And it was a philosophy, and it started coming in with a lot of human traditions and stuff that demeaned Christ, that lessened Christ of who he is. So as part of the message, Paul uses imagery of true Christianity in calling these people back to truth as he nails them on this whole problem that they're having in the church. So, In light of this, Paul starts then with a short letter in chapter 1 talking about Christ. He addresses the Pharisee, and he's going over and he's addressing things all about who Christ is. Then he comes to this verse. And he starts off, Therefore, as you receive Christ, Jesus the Lord... I mean, that's a pretty strong statement there. So walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. That's what he does. Now... What's interesting is after Paul has done this description of the the problem and and addressing who Christ is, the next thing you see, what's the first word here in this passage? Therefore, which is a what grammatically? It's a conjunction. Remember conjunctions? Remember this back in elementary school now? Oh, remember conjunctions? uh, What is it? Conjunction... There we go, (laughs) the old Saturday morning uh, school rock thing, yes. Mm -hmm. So, conjunctions. A conjunction, for those of you who don't even want to think about middle school anymore... A conjunction is taking information that's being presented and you're continuing in it so the next sentence is part of what you just got done saying. That's why you never really start a paragraph with a conjunction because a paragraph is an opening statement. Uh, The first sentence, the thesis sentence, is starting a whole new thought. Here, using a conjunction, we're going into the thought that's been presented, and we're bringing it on. So in what Paul is doing, he's saying, now, I just got done telling you about who Christ is, and now we come to this passage. And what Paul has now addressed is this. Paul has just meticulously explained who Jesus is. He has said that Jesus is fully God. There is no lesser part about Jesus being God. He is 100% God. Paul tells us that he is the creator God. No, God the Father didn't do the creating of the world and the universe. It was Jesus. He is the creator. And if you don't believe me on that, go to Hebrews chapter 1. Just look at the first three verses. You're going to see it mentioned. The writer of Hebrews says the same thing. Also, go to the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. It goes on and it says, and nothing was created that he didn't create. He created everything. Jesus is the creator God, creator of all the visible and invisible things. He is eternal. He holds everything together. He has power. He head, is the head of the church. He is the leader of the church. He was resurrected, and he saves us through his blood. He allows us to have peace with the Father, and he sees us as holy, a holy people. And this is Colossians fifteen through um, one. I'm sorry, Colossians one fifteen through twenty three. This is where what is outlined here. I've just taken it and just put it into that type of thing. Now. Let's get into, with this in mind, with all of this information Paul has just given us, now let's look at what our theme verse is because he says, therefore, or because of all of this, then he goes into our verse. He next announces in our verse that since we received Christ, since we received Christ, now the word received in the Greek is the word paralambano. Big deal. But this does mean something. Paralambano is the Greek word in this sentence, or in this passage, because of what has just been taught, what it's meaning is this. You are receiving the information we just had. You are receiving this by oral transmission. That's what paralambano means. Paul says, I've just stated all these things about Christ. You have received this. How did they receive it? By oral transmission. Now, you might be thinking, Michael, big deal. What's this mean? Is there some point you're trying to make here? Oh, yes. The point here is that this is being written to a people to a church, members of a church who were claiming to be Christian, who were claiming to have received salvation, who are claiming to have received Christ as their Lord and Savior. Is that not what all of you here are also claiming? I hope so. I hope you're all claiming to be born-again Christians. I mean, we're here to, to serve as Christ would serve these people. The way we do our job here isn't just doing our job. The way you do your job here is you picture all these campers, any camper that comes up to you as being like Jesus, how do you treat that person? That's how you work at Fort. The very first time I came to Fort 20 years ago and started to work here, um, there was an older Sioux cabin, not the Sioux cabin that's there now, that one's the newer one. There was an older one in front of it, and my job was to clean that cabin. Truman Robertson, the guy who founded camp, pictures over there on the wall, um, Truman Robertson came up in his little golf cart because um, he only had one leg at that time and came up to me and called me over to his golf cart and said, have a seat. And I was getting ready to clean a cabin, but hey, he one thought talk, I went over, sat down. He says, do you know how to clean a cabin? I said, oh yeah, I know how to clean a cabin. I've taught microbiology for years. I'll make that room so clean you could do surgery in there. I'll make it sterile, aseptic, septic and everything. And he says, no, that's not what I'm asking. Do you know how to clean a cabin here? And I go yeah, I know how to use a mop and disinfect it. And he says, that's not what I'm asking. Do you, know how to, do you know how to clean a cabin here? And I'm like, okay, Truman, what are you trying to tell me? I've known Truman for about 15 years. I said, okay, what are you trying to tell me? And he says, Michael, the way you clean a cabin here is you clean it as if Jesus Christ himself is going to be staying in that cabin. Now, how are you going to clean that cabin? Folks, how do you work at Fort Wilderness? How do you work at Fort Wilderness? You work at Fort Wilderness as if Jesus just came over that hill yesterday and is here in this camp, and you have contact with him. How do you treat him? That's how you work at Fort Wilderness. If you're cleaning toilets, you clean a toilet as if Jesus himself is going to sit on that toilet. does not that the best illustration I guess I should have gone that way. Hindsight. Call that a brain injury. I don't know. <laughs> But um, if you're going to be a lifeguard, you're going to watch these kids like that. If you're going to work in the stables, you're going to do this on, on the ride with him. You know, you're treating these people, you're seeing these people as, as Christ, and that's the way you treat them. That's the way you do it. These people were all claiming to be Christians. How did they get to know Christ? Paul never went there. They got it. How? By Epaphras, especially, and probably Philemon, taking the information that they heard by oral transmission from Paul and bringing it back and then they told the stories and the church spread like wildfire. The Holy Spirit did a wonderful miracle in Colossae. I became a Christian through oral and a transmission through oral also. I went to a Billy Graham crusade when I was in eighth grade. I heard Billy Graham explain salvation. It was an oral thing. I got it. I mean, I'm sure there's some Christians that become Christians just simply because they read the Bible, but I think many of us probably, it's because we heard somebody orally given it to us, did we not? That's what this Paralambano is talking about. They received Christ through an oral transmission. We need to receive Christ also in this type of thing. Now, looking again at this verse, therefore, as you receive Christ, so you've taken and received, you have made Christ a part of you. You have now committed and put your trust in, in him. And that's what he's telling the church and that's what I'm asking you. You have done the same thing, I hope. The next thing it says, so walk in him. Many times in the New Testament we are told to walk in a certain way. And that's not like walking like you know some physical thing, walking or whatever. That's not that type of walk. It's not the action of the way you walk. Obviously, it's talking about something a little deeper. Now, the word for So walk in him, to walk in Christ, to him is Christ, to walk in Christ is the Greek word. It's a verb called peripateo. Peripateo is a word that is a compound word. Peri is the word for meaning around something. Perimeter is where we get our word for that. Perimeter comes from that word. Pateo is the meaning uh, that the way something moves or the way someone walks or moves from uh, uh, this place to over there. That's what this word is talking about. Thus, in this paragraph, the Greek meaning at this time for this passage is saying this, that peripateo means to walk in uh, or walk around in a full circle. This is literal here. In a full circle or the way that you walk your entire life. So when it says to walk in him, means you do this your entire life. The way that you live your entire life. In the Bible, New Testament, they use the word walk in Him. Peripateo. It's used many times in Scripture to describe this. But we often don't do this for our entire life, it seems like. Many people will walk in Christ on Sunday mornings when they go to church. Some will maybe even walk if they have a church service on Sunday night. Some will walk with Christ when they go to a youth group or some youth fellowship or something with their church. But there are other times it seems like they don't. Having their entertainment time of their own, are you walking with Christ at that point? When you're sitting with your computer open, are you walking with Christ at that time? Are you using your phone and walking with Christ in how you use your phone? When you're at school, do you walk your entire life Every day with Christ? See, Paul is telling these people, they've stopped doing this and they need to do this. There are too many people that are just Sunday Christians. When I used to live in the Bahamas, we, there was a sort of a saying, a sort of a sad saying, but they used to say, yeah, Bahamians go to church on Sunday, they're the most religious people, and then later on the week they'll rob you. Like their Christianity, many of them, is just on a Sunday morning. Well, I don't think that's just exclusive of Bahamians. I think there's a lot of Americans that do the same thing. We just walk our Christian life at certain times, particularly if there's a Christian audience or something around, then we do it. But when we're with other friends and stuff, we definitely don't do it. And Paul is saying, no, that's what the Colossian church was doing. We don't do that. You walk with Christ. The way you live your life, the way you go around anything in your life is this way. In Him. That's what he's saying. So in this paragraph, the word peripateo means to live your life conformed to the union entered into with Christ. John MacArthur, the um, very well-known Bible scholar and author, in his commentary on this verse said this, and I'm giving you the quote. Walk is the familiar New Testament term for denoting the believer's daily conduct. To walk in Christ is to live a life patterned after his, unquote. Great description of it. That's what walk in Christ means. Are you walking in Christ? Or do you just do it when it seems necessary? Only you can answer that question. But that's what we got to be careful so how do we apply this part of that verse to us today? It's Very simple. We are to walk as Christ walked, walk in the style uh, we are to emulate. We are to be like him. We're to be ambassadors or imitators of him. We've been declared holy by God, so we should be living a holy life. Colossians 121. And we're called to live this holy life all the time. We just are not supposed to be holy on Sunday mornings or at youth group or at Bible studies we are to be holy all the time. First uh, Peter 1 15 and 16. As he who called you is holy, God is holy, you also be holy in what? All of your conduct. That's this word again. We're seeing the same thought here all the time, your entire life. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Which is also from the book of Leviticus. Now the question is How do we live a life like that? How do we do this? This is part of the armor of God. If you are here last year, remember me dressing up in the Roman armor? Remember the breastplate of righteousness? That's what it is. Ephesians 6, 14 and 15, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The thing is, you put the breastplate of righteousness on, it's not the easiest thing to put on. Once you put it on, you just leave it on. Actually, as I show, if you were here last time, last year about this, it's very comfortable. My breastplate that I have, the Roman breast, breastplate that I, I sport every now and then, it was custom made for me. And it is extremely comfortable. It really is. I can move around in that very easily. It's very comfortable. But what is the breastplate of righteousness? The breastplate of righteousness means the breastplate of holy living. And that's what it is. You put this on and you go out and face the world. You just don't take it off. You wear it all the time. You get up in the morning, you put this on. Don't go out and do battle in a t-shirt. <laughs> put it on the breastplate of righteousness. You're going to come into the world's temptations and Satan's temptations, his arrows as it talks further. In Ephesians chapter 6, he's going to be shooting darts of temptation and stuff at you all the time. Hey, have a breastplate of righteousness on. Put that on first thing. Don't wait. Don't just put it on on Sunday. Don't make it your Sunday go-to-meeting suit. The next part of this sentence has four particles. As I was reading this and studying this a few weeks ago, I was like, wow, there are four particles, main particles, that now we're told to do in this thing. And each one of these apply to our holy relationship with Jesus. So, looking at the verse again, Colossians 2, 6, and 7, Therefore, as you've received Christ the Lord, so walk in him. Then you see, first, rooted. And then, second, built up in him. And established, third, established in the faith just as you were taught, bounding into number four, Thanksgiving. Four particles. Four particles. We're going to hit these, and then we'll be about done. So let's look at the first one. Rooted. This first word, rooted, is the Greek word rizio, I'm sorry, rizio, and it means to be firmly established like a plant is stuck in the ground. This is part of our whole theme. In deep soil or as a tree is thoroughly grounded. I've put a picture up here. Those who have been on mar- the few of you who have been on marine biology trips are going to recognize this, this tree that is the background. And I use that specifically because I can't think of a better tree to explain this than this. For those of you who do not know what this is and don't recognize it, it is called a red mangrove. Rhizopora mangle is its name. You come on a marine biology trip, you'd be able to do that too, just off the top of your head. <laughs> These are trees, you can see these are fish. It lives out on the edge, of the, um, the edge of the water. The tree is way up here, it's a branching tree. These are roots from one tree. It's got this prop root system that is just absolutely amazing. It's anchored into the ground. What is absolutely amazing about this tree is you can't pull it out of the ground. Hurricanes come by, hurricanes can topple oaks very easily. Oaks have a deep root system. They get pulled out of the ground in hurricanes. Mangroves don't. They lose all their leaves if it's like a 120-mile-an-hour wind or something. They'll lose the leaves, but they'll grow new leaves and stuff. But the thing is, they don't move. So people who live on islands and stuff with mangroves, when hurricane's coming, they tie their boats, not to the docks, they tie them to, if they possibly can, mangroves. Because they survive... The big uh, hurricane that went through the Florida Keys a couple of years ago, we still go down there and we see the damage from it, but not the mangroves. The mangroves are all there. Many other trees are gone, not mangroves. They are so strong. They are so anchored. They can't be pulled out of the ground. That is what is so cool about these trees. Now, how does this apply to me? Rizzo, how does this apply to me to be rooted? Well, we are to be deep-rooted in Christ. And this word appears in the perfect participle. What does that mean? That means that since we're already this way, since we're born again Christians, we're rooted in Christ through salvation, we should stay rooted all the time. No matter what storm comes, no matter what wind comes, how high the tide is, what the tide surge is, we are always going to be rooted in Christ. The implication is simple. To grow spiritually, you've got to walk daily with him. It's that simple. Walk daily with Christ. That's what rooted means. We should have like cement shoes that we're just anchored to the bottom and we just you can't move from it. That's what we're supposed to be. Now don't take that literally. But that's what this is talking about here. Now, the second particle in this is the word built up. The word here is um, epokodomia mio. Epikodomio is a word in this passage that means to be in fellowship with God, which results in a stronger and healthier spiritual life. That's being built up. Talking about fellowship. When you're in fellowship, you're in a relationship. What do you do in a relationship? You talk to each other. We are to be in this type of relationship because it will make us stronger and healthier. How do you do this? It's really simple. You've got to know the Word of God. Read the 66 love letters he gave us that we call the Bible. Get to know it. Obey it. When he shows you things that you need to correct, you assimilate that. You put it into action in your life. You let this take root in your life. Establishing a very firm, like mangrove type of anchor that just can't be pulled out. That's how you do this one. So in doing this, we have to be in time with God's Word, getting to know Him. we got to listen to God, and how do we do that? We let Him talk to us through the love letters He gave us. You have To grow spiritually, you have to know and study the Word of God. That's why we're going to spend basically two lessons talking about that. The third particle here is "B-IO-O," which is, is a passage meaning to strengthen or to confirm what you've learned in Christ, to strengthen this. See, he's just not. Paul's just not saying, okay, you're rooted in this, study the Bible, you're done. No, you're going to strengthen. You spend a lot of time in this. You keep doing this. Paul goes on to explain how you do this. It's how you were taught. What were you taught? You go into this and you keep building this up. You keep reviewing what you have learned. In school, if you have a really good teacher teaching you new concepts, what they will do is not teach it once, at, like sometime in the semester, say it's like on October 5th they teach it and then they never touch it again to the final exam at the end of the year. That's not good teaching. In good teaching, what we do as teachers, once we teach a concept, we every now and then, spot what we call spiral back, and we go back and we hit the important things again. Then we move forward again, and then after a while, we'll spiral back and we'll hit that main point again. And then we keep going, and after a while, we spiral back, and we go back and teach that point again. And you keep doing that, and you know something? By the time the end of the term comes, you know that material. Because you just didn't look at it once, and wow, It's done. You keep spiraling back. In other words, that's how you study the Bible. You keep going over and over and over. You keep adding to the strength. What you were taught. Taught from what? We're taught from the Word of God. And we need to be firmly set in this. This is what should be the foundation, our concrete, that fastens us to Christ. The Colossian church was struggling in their belief, they've been taught everything correctly. Some person, probably one person, comes in, starts this, some conversation, gets everybody so messed up, starts getting off on all different types of tracks, because, and it worked because they were not utilizing the Word of God. That was the problem that they had, and that's why Paul is addressing them. Keep going back. Keep spiraling back. Go back to what you were taught. Keep getting into that. Checking this. That's what you need to do. We need to keep going over this over and over and over. I had a person just recently ask me, how many times have I read uh, the Gospel of John? A couple weeks ago a person asked me that. How many times have I read the Gospel Gospel of John? I go, man I don't know. They say, well make a guess. A hundred? I have no idea. The point is, I keep Studying this over and over. Once I finish a book, I'm like, okay, I'm done. never have to read that again. No! Keep going back. Now, how often does this happen today? That people will take the story of Jesus, twist it around, twist the word of God to mean something that is totally contrary to what God says and his character. I'm telling you, this happens all the time now. We are living in the age. You guys are coming up into the age where this is running rampant. We have people now saying, oh, you can live your lifestyle any way you want. God is a God of love. He's going to just love you no matter what you do. Hmm. I had a talk with a person over at Lab today when I was speaking over there asking me that since God is a God of love, does he just pardon everything from now on and that's how it is? No. He gave us his 66 love letters to tell us what his character is like, and we are to live a holy life. Yes, God is love, no question about it, but we're forgetting God is holy and we are supposed to be holy like him. The world today says, no, you live however your lifestyle, whatever you want to do, however you want to say things. Your truth can be whatever truth you want. doesn't really matter. Yes, it does. To God, it does because God is holy. Don't ever, ever forget that. And most theologians would say, that God's holiness is the best description you can ever have of God. God is love. No, don't get me wrong. He is. And we are in a period right now of a time of grace. It's the age of the church. We're in a time of grace. That's why he's not going around just smacking and killing people all the time. But you know something? When Jesus came, he was the suffering Messiah. He came for the sins of the people. But guess what? Jesus is coming again. And you know what he's going to be like the second time he comes? He's not going to be walking around giving grace all the time. The age of grace will be over. He's coming, as it says in Scripture, this time instead of riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, he's coming on a horse with a sword. He is the warrior king judge that's coming. Very soon, I believe, the time of grace is going to be over. And we're going to see Christ come again as the warrior king. And there's going to be an awful lot of shocked Americans when they see this vision of Jesus coming but this is exactly what he said. Don't mistake God's grace for he doesn't really care. There is a faith lesson. We really need to know the word of God and the character of God, of our holy God, to combat all of this. The Colossian church fell so easily into this type of thinking. It's a nice type of thinking. Oh, we just have to be Christians when we want to. Christ isn't exactly what all everybody claimed. And they just sort of went with that, and it was a heresy that started, and Paul was like, oh, man, we got to write a letter to you people. we got to combat this to strengthen our walk with them. Finally, the fourth particle is thanksgiving. Eucharist is the word here, which is a word used many times again in the New Testament, and it means to give thanks to God for all the blessings. This is something we're supposed to do all the time to thank God for all the blessings in life. Not just do it on Sunday mornings or just do it on Thanksgiving or something like that. This passage, this word, uh, in this passage, this word is the only one that is in the active voice. If you look at the grammar of this thing, it's the active voice. What does that mean? That means to say the prayer of Thanksgiving, yes, but to live a life in this mental state that you're constantly looking at everything that happens to you and you're giving Grace and thanksgiving to God. Today is Father's Day. How many of you, just rhetorically, how many of you have actually called and said, Thanks, Dad, for being my dad? I mean, this is a day we set aside in this country to do this, you know? And we should live in the mindset of this type of thing. I've been very thankful today. Many times it's come to my mind that I shouldn't even be alive today. This Father's Day is a total gift to me because I shouldn't even be here. But um, I'm very thankful. And as I was even driving my car over here, again, I was telling God, as I've said many times to him today, thank you for giving me this Father's Day because I shouldn't even be here. So you want to live in the moment all the time of the thought that everything that's happening to you, the health you had, you're not sick probably sitting here. Though there are some other summer staffers who are sick. Hey, have you given thanks to God for that? Have you given thanks to God for God allowing you to work here? Have you given thanks to God today for the representation you get to be as an ambassador for Christ here this summer? Wow, there's a lot to give thanks for. Mm -hmm. So this is our theme, rooted and built up. And if you're really born again, if you want really want to walk with Christ by these four particles being solidly attached to Christ solidly rooted in Him studying the Word of God assimilating it into your life know what God's Word says and what God is like being thankful all the time for the blessings that you get. That's what this verse is talking about. That was the heresy. If we do not do these things, we open ourselves up to become like the heretics of Colossae. We need to look at this next verse. The, our theme verse is 6 and 7. Have you guys looked to see what verse 8 says? Look at this. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. You know what this is saying? Remember this is written to a church? Christians can be taken captive. This heresy happened at a church that at one time was on fire for God. We can be taken captive by empty philosophies, deceit, human traditions. It does happen. And we'll be talking about that in a future lesson. So, just ending this, this verse tells us that if we do not do what's in verses 6 and 7, we will be taken captive. We have to be wary of this. I fear for many of you that go on to a college, whether secular or private Christian university, doesn't matter. I know so many people who walk away from Christ when they get to college, because they're not ready. They have not done six, uh, verses 6 and 7, and they get there in these philosophies and um, human traditions that they pound into you in these secular uni- universities and stuff in particular um, with human secularism, and they get you to doubt and turn away from Christ. It does happen. We can be taken captive. Folks, don't let that happen. Stay strong.